Climate Conversations on the Agenda. With Dubai Holding, together for the good of tomorrow. Hello there and welcome back to The Agenda. Great to have you with us. And as you've just heard, we are indeed broadcasting live from COP28 right here in the middle of the conference at Expo City. Now, a draft text that was released overnight by the COP28 negotiating team here in Dubai has unfortunately so far been met by a storm of protest by policy analysts, government leaders and indeed the public here protesting alike. Now, the EU has been particularly vociferous with Wopka Hoekstra, who is the EU's climate czar commissioner, describing the document as disappointing and a long way from what was needed. The text as it now stands uh, is disappointing. Uh, It is lengthy, we're still looking into all the various elements and yes there are a couple of good things in there but overall it is clearly insufficient and not adequate to addressing the problem uh, we are here to to address and that is not because just we want it, the Ministry of Air want it or the Europeans want it because scientists are crystal clear about what is needed. You can probably hear in the background there uh, the protesters on site. This is a sort of close-up clip. They were particularly vociferous last night. Fossil fuel phase out now! For his part, the COP president, Dr. Sultan al-Jaba, speaking yesterday, urged countries to make more progress towards that deal. He called on all parties to show much more flexibility. We have made progress, but we still have a lot to do. You know what remains to be agreed, and you know that I want you to deliver the highest ambition on all items, including on fossil fuel language. If I can help, my door remains wide open to all of you. Now, some have pointed out that there are some positives in the text and analysts have reminded onlookers here that there is still time for more progress as negotiations are set to continue for the rest of the day here at Expo City. But there is a lot of detail in that 21-page document. Um, But a lot of people are focusing on the phrase uh, phase out. And that sentence with regard or that phrase with regards to fossil fuels will not appear in the final text at the moment, at least. Instead, the agreement calls instead for reducing their use. As you can tell, there's a lot going on down here. There's a lot to talk about. And I'm delighted to say I am joined in the studio by two people who know an awful lot more about it than I do. I have Amos Wamanya, who leads on Just Energy Transition at the Climate Activism Group, Power Shift Africa in Kenya. And I also have Ruth Townend, who's a research fellow in the Environment and Society Centre at the think tank Chatham House in the United Kingdom. Thank you both for joining me in the studio. It's a great pleasure to have you with us. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. Pleased to be here. It's lovely to have you both here. Really, really fantastic. And and Ruth as well. I, I mean, you guys have both done cops before. I say done in the, in the most casual sense. Is this business as usual? Amos, uh, first of all, your reaction to, to this draft text. How did you feel when it, when it emerged last night? Yeah, um, the feeling is that, you see, the cops have perfected one thing, uh, kicking the can down the road. And uh, I hope this COP is not going to do that. Um, I hope this COP is going to choose life. 
And uh, um, the text that came out last evening, um, I think it's great that for the first time we have a word around fossil fuels um, that forms the foundation uh, for this COP to establish something that is historical, something that's new. And uh, we are hoping that at least if they cannot agree on face out, face down, they can agree on the transition. Uh, we need to transition away from fossil fuels because we know they are the cause of the crisis. Uh, but first, what we are saying, historical emitters uh, need to do that first. Uh, you cannot expect countries like Congo or Mozambique to uh, face out before Canada and Norway. So we need historical polluters who have got us in this mess, in this crisis, to be able to face out first and help developing countries uh, to transition. So at least if they cannot agree on the language on face out, face down, reduction, they can agree on the transition. Ruth, was your reading similar to that? Well, we came into this COP off the back of the global stock take, which is the Paris Agreement's mechanism for checking that the agreement is working and progressing at a sufficient pace. And, and this report card, essentially, that we got from the global stock take was a really, really bad one. Um, so this COP was supposed to be a moment of transformation, a moment of reckoning for the international community at which we come together and face up to the fact that we're simply not moving fast enough to avert the crisis that we face with climate change. The first draft of the text, we're now on draft two, um, was stronger than this draft was. So it did have that language around phase down as an option. And since that draft came out, there was an intervention by OPEC, which is the oil-producing country's um, oil cartel, uh, essentially asking their members not to back this language. And we've now seen, because we're in a, in a process where we need to reach a compromise that all countries are happy with, we've come to a place where the text is, is watered down quite substantially. It's weaker than it needs to be, it's not as transformational as it should be, and it's not going to deliver the change that we need at the pace that we need it to happen. It's really interesting, uh, as you say there, that you kind of have, you're able to glimpse behind the negotiating doors, so to speak, to see who is altering this text, who is putting pressure on this text. Um, do you think that it is just the OPEC countries or do you think we are seeing pressure from, from other developed countries as well? For example, the United States. Certainly, I think that there is pressure from the United States around the language. So the United States is one of the world's uh, biggest producers of oil um, and they, have, um, they are continuing to invest in oil production. So when we talk about no more fossil fuels, um, no more drilling for oil, which is what the International Energy Agency, which is a big body that, that looks at the world's energy mix and, and how we produce our energy, has said that there needs to be no new oil and gas, essentially, if we're going to meet the 1.5 degree target. Now, countries are not acting in accordance with the language of phase out at this moment and that's why COP needs to send a really clear signal to countries by having super strong language in the text. Amos we still haven't heard about China or India their stance either have we and of course they are uh, huge emitters partly due to the size of their country partly due to the size uh, of their industry. Yeah um, the thing is uh, actually we need to all of us collectively um, um, take action 
um, uh, and stand in solidarity with um, communities that are already facing the crisis. Um, of course, there are new emerging high emitters that also need to take action uh, to be able to um, stop the emissions. We're actually um, running out of a window of opportunity to be able to act. Uh, we are seeing um, historical levels of uh, extreme uh, weather events. Um, we are seeing um, one of the highest, uh, hottest years. We are seeing extreme floods. Uh, and I think we need to take um, uh, action, uh, and, and a bold, urgent action to be able to limit um, um, or reach our 1.5 uh, degree goal. Uh, but um, another thing that needs to happen is, I think within the text uh, that we have right now, um, we are banking too much on technology that is expensive. And also um, this technology around capture, um, carbon emissions capture and storage is banking on land because some of these emissions are to be injected uh, underground. And uh, what we have seen previously is uh, community rights being trampled on uh, by um, corporations that want to inject their emissions in their land. So um, I think banking on expensive technology that has the potential of um, um, uh, abusing communities and leading to land grabs and uh, land rights being abused, I think is dangerous, especially when we are living in an emergency. Do you know, it does seem odd that every single solution that anyone comes up with always seems to trample the global south or poorer communities. It, you know, every, everything, that like right from, so if we continue using fossil fuels, it's bad for the global south. If we try and use carbon capture technology, it's bad for the communities. If, it, if we have problems with food security, you get large countries buying up land in, in the global south as well. It doesn't, there doesn't seem to be a just transition any way you look. That must be how it feels for you as a campaigner, I suppose. Yeah, the thing is um, we need a system change. The system that we exist in right now is a system that is designed to extract and exploit um, uh, the poor, uh, uh, we need a system that is supportive, not a system that is extractive. And that's why we are uh, against a continued use of fossil fuels. But it's not just about moving from fossil fuels uh, to renewables. It's about transitioning the system. And, yeah, if, if, about, if, if, if it's about transitioning the system, and if it's about transitioning the system, we need to do it in a just manner. We need to protect and safeguard social and ecological um, uh, uh, interests of communities. Amos, thank you so much uh, for those comments. And, and Ruth as well. We're going to come back to you in just a few minutes' time. Uh, we've just got to go to the break, but really fascinating discussion so far. You've been listening to the voices of, of Amos Wamanya, who leads on Just Energy Transition at the Climate Activism Group Power Shift Africa in Kenya, and also Ruth Townend, a research fellow in the Environment and Society Centre at the think tank Chatham House in the UK. Now, if you've got any questions for my experts, please do send them in. I'd be delighted to put them to them. In the meantime, we will be continuing our conversation about that draft text, that second draft text that has emerged here at COP28 from the negotiators. Uh, more on that in the next few minutes. Climate Conversations on the Agenda. With Dubai Holding, together for the good of tomorrow.
We are in our COP28 studio and I still haven't quite got used to uh, which button goes where. But I'm delighted to say that one of the reasons why we're here live from COP28 right in the middle of the conference at Expo City is because we are reaching the final hours of uh, really quite tense discussions here at the event. Uh, The negotiating team last night released a draft text. It was the second text and it's fair to say it was met by a storm of protests by policy analysts and government leaders alike. The EU was particularly vociferous, but there is a lot of detail in that 21-page document. And I'm delighted to say that joining me in the studio, or sticking with me to analyse that text, is Amos Womania, who leads on just energy transition at the climate activism group PowerShift Africa in Kenya, and also Ruth Townend, who's a research fellow in the Environment and Society Centre at Chatham House in the United Kingdom. Thank you both for staying with me. Um, Ruth, I'm going to ask you whether we've seen any positives from the conference as a whole? You know, for example, we did get that loss and damage announcement right at the beginning of conference. That was really exciting. That was really unexpected. Is that at least a step forward? Well, it's... It was a fantastic bang to start the conference and frankly unprecedented to have a major agreement on the first day. Um, So it really set the tone of hopefulness and in fact excitement going into the conference in some ways. And it was a landmark agreement to establish that loss and damage fund and essentially placing loss and damage as a third pillar of climate action alongside mitigation, so avoiding climate change, adaptation, preparing for it. And loss and damage is when we fail to mitigate, we fail to prepare um, and, and disasters do happen with huge human and economic costs. The issue now is that the agreements that we need to get with the global stock take and the global goal on adaptation to climate change, if those aren't strong, then we're going to end up with unprecedented loss and damage. Loss and damage is something that communities in vulnerable countries are already living with. The effects of extreme weather, the effects of slow onset climate change that make it harder to grow their crops. Um, But these will increase by enormous, uh, enormous amounts if we aren't mitigating and aren't adapting appropriately and developing countries don't have the funds to do this themselves they need support and while support has been promised by developed countries it has often not been forthcoming so they were promised 100 billion of climate finance every year from 2020 to 2025 and for the first time this year and some Some analysts are saying that that has been met, while others contend that. So we've got a really difficult situation again for the global south, that they need to adapt, they need to mitigate, but they can't afford to do it. And of course, this loss and damage element, this pillar, still doesn't seem to be included in this 21-page document, this draft text. So Amos, is there anything good in these 21 pages? You know, are there any positives to draw from this? Just, just to add to uh, what Ruth has said is that um, I think developing countries um, um, are, are, are losing trust within the process because um, we have seen promises and pledges go unfulfilled. But we hope that um, the scope is going to be the catalyst for that climate action that has been missing uh, in the previous COPs. Uh, like I said, um, previous COPs have been good at delaying action. I hope this Dubai uh, COP is going to be the one that changes and shifts the needle. 
um, the co-president is already um, um, uh, is expressing optimism and saying the door is open. Uh, I'm ready to change anything uh, that will be able to facilitate a transformation in finding a solution to this crisis. And uh, when you look at the current existing text, there is a text around tripling renewables, which is something we should be celebrating because um, um, tripling renewables capacity globally means something. Uh, but for a continent like Africa, where we have half of the population not having access to electricity, this text should be able to facilitate uh, support for African countries to be able to invest in their abundant renewable resources, to be able to break the gap uh, between the people who have access and those who do not have access to electricity. And we know um, um, if we continue to use the fossil fuels, we are going to have more losses and damages uh, in Africa. And of course, uh, fossil fuels are not new to a continent like Africa. Uh, they have not benefited Africa. They have left uh, populations in Africa without access to electricity. But Africa has an ambitious goal already. They are saying they want to invest in their renewables. So we need this international cooperation and support through these processes such as this COP to be able to facilitate investments in this um, uh, Africa's renewable, but also enable communities to have access to energy systems that are able to help them build resilience of their livelihoods and be able to um, uh, stop losses of lives that are happening because of the climate impacts. With just hours to go of these negotiations, are you hopeful that we could reach a, a just agreement, a better agreement? Ruth, I'll start with you. Well, there's been a really strong reaction to the, the change in the text and the sense that it's been watered down. We've had major players like the EU and the UK coming out very strongly to say that it's not acceptable in the stand in, in, as it stands. Um, and things can change at COPs. Things can change a lot in the last minute. Um, at Glasgow, we saw a big shift towards ambition very late in the conference. And some of that was lost again in, in, in very last minute changes. So it is very much all to play for. And you can see that in the tension in the hallways as people wait for the next draft of the text, wait to see what they're working with and, and strive to get a better agreement because... This is something that will affect all of us. No one is going to avoid the effects of climate change, whether they're direct, such as floods and wildfires, or whether they're indirect, such as disruption to trade, um, migration and displacement of peoples within countries and over borders, um, and losses to our economies. Amos, do you feel positive? Do you feel upbeat that we might see something better in the coming hours? Yeah, the only thing we, 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 need, we need to keep is hope. Um, and it's quite encouraging to see uh, parties such as the EU um, supporting um, a, a stronger text around uh, phase-out of fossil fuels. Um, I think um, this needs to be um, done, but it has to be differentiated, uh, considering that uh, we have uh, differentiated responsibilities but also capabilities. So I'm hoping that uh, we'll have something stronger that will enable us to find solutions to this crisis. Uh, but it has also to be just and fair, and by being just and fair, it has to look at different um, 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 differences in our capacities and responsibilities. 
Amos Wamanya, thank you very much indeed from PowerShift Africa in Kenya. Ruth Townend from the think tank Chatham House in the UK. Thank you both. A really fascinating discussion. Climate Conversations on the Agenda. With Dubai Holding, together for the good of tomorrow.